dead spot. I slam a game of coon with a couple of redneck boys. One great big fat backer man. I heard David yell across the room. Hey, buddy, how about a helping hand? I said, Dave, I ain't as good as I once was. Welcome back to the Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined by our host and star of this show, this KFT, a date in October with KFT, episode 446 on our network. It is the middle of a Friday triple header today for us. We opened up with a day at the yard common sense pitching with Wiley and Will, followed by KFT, and then we'll end, end the day with the sauce. It's got some college basketball updates, a little Super Bowl preview. Um, but before we bring Kelly on, just want to thank our subscribers, 67,000 and growing, 74 countries. We appreciate your support. Last day for the nominations, awards will be handed out next week. We're just happy to be nominated for two awards, Baseball Podcast of the Year with a Sports Podcast Group and the Webbies. Thank you to Jaw Bats, RVG at checkout. We'll get you a discount on a brand new maple bat. Sun Tanner's using his M110 model, lefty and ready, loves the weight distribution. Our very own Jeff Fry, She Gone podcast host, used his down in fantasy camp, hit a double in his first at-bat, so it's got to work, I told him. Uh, also take a look out for Bonet and Kinetic Arm, two great baseball products out there. Bonet's been around for 20 years, so great baseball nets, great training tools. Kinetic Arm is the newest innovation in arm care, so of course we're all about that on this network. If you didn't listen to Jason Collarin on our show last Friday, tune back into that, and uh, we'll be having some events with him um, coming up in this year, ending with a big one in December. So uh, stay tuned for that. Also thanking our newest marketing partner, Millions, handling the influx of sponsorship possibilities. Our merchandise should be up today, hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, all with our new logo on it. Also opportunities to hire our podcast host for experiences, both in person and virtual. Um, and we'll have some fun videos too. Valentine's Day is coming up. We're taking bets as to which podcast host is going to be hired out to wish a somebody else's significant other. Happy Valentine's Day. So with that, uh, Kelly, welcome back to your show. Dave, I'm so excited to be here. And there was just a lot of good news in that opening spiel. Yeah, it's it's uh, we're growing almost two years old now. And I remind people just a little over a year ago, we were at about 3000 subscribers. Uh, but, you know, there's I got asked how we do it and there's no magic wand to it. I think we have good people doing the show. But, uh, you know, you see all this stuff out there in social media that promotes funneling. And I just don't think you get true, long-lasting uh, fans, friends that way. I, I prefer the word filter. Um, we all have our network. We all, I think, are very authentic in what we, we, uh, we, we speak about the game and, and about relationships. So I think because of that, we've got a true blue 67,000. It's not the 5.5 million you see on some of these famous hosts, but I think ours are real solid in terms of the people. They tune in for every show every week. They don't miss a beat. So, um, so we're, we're growing at a steady pace. I'm, I'm more about, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about the, what do you call it? The war of attrition. You just keep moving forward. And eventually the ones that want to be that shooting star will, will fall off and we'll just keep sustaining. So I like the direction we're headed. 
Me too. And I think that we really cover a lot of ground between all of the different hosts. And it makes the whole program really a pleasure to listen to. I mean, even for me as one of the hosts, I enjoy listening to the other programs. I love Sal's nutrition advice, for example. Yeah, it's all it's all practical information. Our shows are for our audience. For the most part, the information we provide is stuff that they're asking for, whether it's deliberate on their part or we're just on the same wavelength as them. Uh, but yeah, it's for them. I mean, we do it for them. And, uh, you know, I, I also, you know, Sal's podcast is a selfish one for me. I ask selfish questions and, and thank God that our audience is thinking the same thing. So uh, his show is very popular. I actually have some questions for Sal, too. I'm going to have to eat. What do I do? Email them to you? I don't even know how we get questions to Sal. Well, you're, you're on the inside. You just text me. Just okay. Text me and uh, I'll, I'll pull it out of the funnel. Yeah. Oh, boy. If you have some for next show, that would be phenomenal. I'll, I'll hit them hard. Oh, good, good, good. And I'll, I'll change your name to protect the identity and make it sound like it's coming from nine people. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, we got uh, your show today. We got, you know, obviously it's a big weekend for football, Super Bowl weekend, but a lot of stuff happened in baseball. So, what do you got first and top of the first today? Well, Dave, you did mention relationships a minute ago, and you also mentioned Valentine's Day. And I talked about the broad range of topics we cover on Real Voices of the Game. So I have a topic for top of the first that covers relationships, Valentine's Day, and all of these important things. And it is a homemade holiday that we celebrate at the Franco Troop household I invented it about 20 years ago. Do you want to hear what it is? Yeah, absolutely. It is Pitchers and Catchers Day. And it is obviously celebrated when the Pitchers and Catchers report. But I have kind of a unique story of how this holiday came to be at our house. And I thought some of our listeners might enjoy hearing the story and may want to celebrate it themselves. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay, so when we... Um, very first got married, uh, I noticed, you know, Valentine's Day would come around and my husband kind of didn't, I mean, we were just kids then, like when we first get married, but I noticed that my husband, Tom, didn't really want to go out to dinner on Valentine's Day and do the whole like roses thing and everything. And probably a little bit of it was we didn't have two nickels to rub together because we were youngsters and, you know, they charged double the cost for dinner and flowers and all these things on Valentine's Day. So that probably made him grumpy too. And so there was no reason to see my husband miserable. So I came up with this idea. I said, how about instead of Valentine's Day, we celebrate Pitchers and Catchers Day. And Pitchers and Catchers always report right around Valentine's Day. So you could kind of make it a, a celebration maybe on February 15th or February 13th. So you don't have to, you know, get ripped off with all these Valentine's Day prices. And so we created this holiday that we called Pitchers and Catchers Day. And then we created a special way that we celebrated it. Of course, we, you know, talk about our baseball teams and what we think our predictions are going to be for the season. But the main thing we do, Dave, and all of our listeners, is we have a recitation of one of the greatest poems ever written, Casey at the Bat. Do you remember that poem, Dave? Oh, absolutely. It's such a great poem. And it's got, it's got really cool rhyming and, you know, the outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. And it's got 13 verses. And so it's actually really nice if you're with your kids or we do it, you know, we don't have kids. We do it with our 
are friends with other couples. And honestly, especially if everyone has a drink or two in them, it is really fun and really silly and really hilarious because we pass the poem around, everybody reads a verse, and it's just good old fashioned fun and a great kickoff to the season. Oh, it sounds interesting. That's who, now that was your idea? It was. And I, I'm going to drop a vid on it next week. And I think that we should kind of spread the word because it could be a fun thing to get out there. Yeah, it's, it's inexpensive too. It is. See, the husbands love it. It's inexpensive. They love it already. Yeah, I think uh, we'll have to remind our audience about Valentine's Day. I'm sure everybody's on it, but uh, it's uh, you know it's at that time of year where there's a heck of a lot going on in the sports world, and you certainly don't want to want to forget that going on. But it uh, result in a cold shoulder, Dave. Oh yeah, more than that, more than that. Uh, so with with Hall of Fame now, did uh, I know we talked about the last that the last time, so. We didn't have to circle back on that one bit. Um, so we get right to the old birds having a yeah, great off I do want to talk about the birds, but a little postscript on the Hall of Fame I did. We talked about my dropping a vid on it, and our listeners know they can see all my vids on Twitter and Instagram at 3inningfan. And I did a video about it not being the Hall of War, it being the Hall of Fame. And that video got a lot of traction, Dave. So if our listeners haven't seen it, I hope they'll go uh, tune in to X. Okay, yeah, make sure you follow. Well, Annette will reannounce your social stuff at the end too so they can follow you. I know I try to promote it as well. It's uh, it's good tidbits, it's good knowledge, and it, it, it kind of bookends your podcast as well where it flows right into it, so. I would encourage people to to take a look at that also with um so the, the the old birds now Corbin Burns I mean that's we talked about him going in uh he's been a popular topic on some of our pitching podcasts certainly a workhorse I mean o- Orioles are making some noise I am really excited for Orioles fans and I think they deserve it because they have paid their dues. I mean, when, when I was growing up, the Orioles were pretty good for a while, but then they tanked for a good long period. And now they have a great situation because after years of turmoil with the, um, the former owners, the Angelos family, they were engaged in litigation with each other and they were pretty tight with the buck. But you got to tip your cap because um, since 2018, they have built a good farm system with the help of their GM, Mike Elias. But they are selling the franchise to Dave Rubenstein, who's a co-founder of the Carlisle Group. And there's nothing better. Well, there's one thing better than a billionaire buying your team, and that's a billionaire fan buying your team. And David Rubenstein is a lifelong fan of the Orioles. He is, and I, there was a famous Oriole also that's a part of that that ownership team with Cal Ripken. I saw. Yeah, they have Cal Ripken and they have Michael Bloomberg, so they have some big names. And I think that was very shrewd of them to let Cal Ripken in on that. I think it's a it's a nice nod. Oh, it makes perfect sense. About time. I mean, he's the he's if not the most storied Oriole. In history, the franchise, one of them, and his streak kind of saved baseball at the time it happened. So, yeah, I, I, I'm – and his family's been Orioles from day one and back to his father. I'm dumbfounded as to why it took so long. Sometimes ego plays into it, but he'll be a helping hand 
financially, obviously, but he's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a small player there, but in terms of his knowledge of baseball and how to have success. And to me, that's, uh, that's a perfect, perfect match. And I'm, I'm happy for the Orioles and him. I am too. And I think part of it was this family litigation that was ongoing and those suits have since been dropped, but there were two sons that were fighting. There was, uh, Louis Angelos, who was um, engaged in litigation with John Angelos and they were brothers, John and Lewis and, you know, a struggle over power and money as these things always are. And then there was also the issue of the Angelos family renewing their lease at Camden Yards. And so with these things kind of in the rearview mirror, maybe it was finally time to complete this deal. Yeah, it's from a, practical standpoint it makes sense but also from a political perception standpoint it's 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 about time one family out another family in with ripkin so i'm wondering when billy billy joins the the crew as well though he does have a nice gig on on tv and i'd I'd hate to lose him there but he can still i guess fill in every now and then he's a great baseball guy he's got great baseball knowledge so yeah i grew up i grew up liking the orioles so i'm glad hey but you mentioned billy and i'm not sure who billy is Billy Ripken, Cal's brother. Oh yeah, I know he's great, and well, and Ryan too. Ryan's been on our show a couple yes. of times. Yeah, he's, he's been great. into more of the the media. He's a, he's kind of all sports right now. More football, actually. I've seen him do more football than baseball. He's a um, football fan. He is. So he's uh, he's out there hitting social media live right now, uh, getting especially with the Super Bowl going on. So with uh, you know the Orioles also did a great job with their drafts the last couple of years, they have the number one farm system in baseball right now. So with a hundred wins last year, it didn't end up how people wanted it to. And I hated that comment that Peter Angelos made when they said, how are you going to keep these young guys together? Gunnar Henderson, rookie of the year, Audley Rushman, uh, you know, top, one of the top catchers in baseball, top rookie of the year before. And now you have uh holiday coming up, Jackson holiday, who's looks to be slated in to start at second base for them. So they, they are, uh, Coupling free agent signings with this strong back to back to back to back now, especially have young pitchers, young classes that your Orioles got a blueprint now for success. They really do. And I, as I prepared for the pod, I thought it was interesting. I saw a couple of different, I read a bunch about the team, but I saw a couple of different articles that cited parallels with the Orioles. And the first one was from the Wall Street Journal, Lindsay Adler, Jared Diamond, and Miriam Gottfried. And they're always great. And they were talking about the parallel between the Orioles and the Mets, because both had former ownerships that were somewhat unpopular with the fans. The Mets had the Wilpons, and we just talked about the Orioles had the Angelos family. And they both had billionaire fans by their teams. The Mets had Steve Cohen buy, and now the Orioles have David Rubenstein buying it. And so they're kind of pulling out of this dark period where the Angelos family had this litigation and the Wilpons had their own woes related to Bernie Madoff. I don't know if you remember that. And so there's a parallel there with these teams kind of pulling through. And obviously the Mets haven't had the winning team that they hope to get yet with Steve Cohen, but I, you know, they're still trying to tweak their model there. But I thought that that was one really interesting parallel. 
And then the other parallel, which you just kicked off there, is a parallel with the Astros, because like the Astros, the Orioles have taken, you know, have gone from tanking to building a farm system to being perhaps the most feared team in baseball. Yeah, people forget the Astros of the, I think it was the late 90s, were awful. They were 100 lost teams, but that banked them guys like Altuve and Correa, Bregman up the line. So they they took their beatings and nobody remembers that now. And yeah, I don't like the tanking. I think it's it's a it's a bad it's a bad model in theory, but it's hard to argue against it when it's working. I, I certainly, certainly don't want to see teams lose 100 games, but we saw 200 lost teams in the World Series this year. Well, you know, that's really interesting what you say about the tanking. And I kind of struggle with it because I feel like if there really is a plan in place and the ownership is letting the fans know, like, you know, we're really going to stink for a couple of years, but there is a plan and we're executing it, then the fans can kind of get on board with that and say, you know what, there are going to be youngsters here and we're going to grow up with them and get to know them and they're going to be our team. So in that situation, I don't mind it as much, but it seems like maybe you don't like it as a, across the board or is it just when you feel like teams use it as an excuse? I think teams should try to win all the time. And I think there's times where they'll, um, they'll rest guys at the end of the year. So put them on the shelf. They'll play guys that aren't ready yet for the big leagues. And, you know, I can understand if they're trying to get them the experience, but for the most part, they, they put an inferior product out there on a regular basis. And you can tell by spending, uh, the teams that aren't spending money aren't, uh, you know, and not always the case because Tampa Bay wins, but they found a way to win that spending. I just think you got you got to put a team out there that's that's prepared to win every night, and nobody will ever admit to it. But you can see, you know, the teams that are, uh, you know, I use the word tanking. It's it probably sounds like it's a little illegal, but it should be. It should be. Te- teams should teams should have a you know they have a salary cap in terms of what teams can spend for the most part in luxury tax afterwards. Um, those teams that are getting that money from the luxury test, they should be forced to spend it on players, which for, for the most part, they don't. They just stockpile it. So, yeah, I have a, I have a problem with, with going out there. Again, they're not throwing games, but they're not putting a product out there that can compete on a night-in, night-out basis. Well, what you said about the revenue sharing is really interesting to me, Dave, because I totally agree on that. And I hear it a lot from my Twitter followers who are fans of the small to medium market teams. They feel like their teams are not spending the revenue sharing to feel the competitive team, that they're just doing something else with the money. And I'm not going to say that the information regarding revenue sharing is not out there at all, but I will say it's not readily available because I have a hard time just in my research determining what the restrictions are on how that money is used and how it can be used other than fielding a competitive team, because it does seem to go somewhere. When you look at teams like the Oakland A's who are always in the bottom of the basement, you're thinking, all right, well, where did the money go? Yeah. And I can't plead poverty forever. Um, but yeah, there, there should be, 
And I don't know how, you know, you look at the different leagues. The NFL has a league based on parity, um, you know, where it's hard to dominate right now. Baseball is very top heavy, bottom heavy. And the NBA is kind of the same way in that regard. I just, I, I don't know which, I love to see dominance, but I can't see, I hate the antithesis of that where you see these teams that, that are at the bottom every year. And, you know, I wish in some ways they take a look at the European soccer model where if you don't compete, you get dropped down a level. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so, but you can, obviously major league sports, they, there are no levels other than the minors with major league baseball. There should be some penalty to that. Right. I learned about that on Ted Lasso. That's the relegation thing. Yeah. And I, again, I'm offering a problem without a solution saying there should be going against one of my major tenants, but I just, I don't like that. It's so easily done, but when you look at it, can you blame them? Teams have lost, let's call it loss instead of tank. Cause it sounds like it's intent. It sounds like it's illegal. They've lost consistently for, you know, almost a decade. The Orioles did. And now they're at the top of the game. So who's, who's to argue against it? This, as long as they're, I guess if their revenue model works out that way where, hey, we can lose for 10 years and then be at the top for the next t- 10 and there's going to be a vicious cycle. But they got to worry about the fan base. As long as the fan base is okay with that, which I don't know if I would be. But, you know, that's, that's, the, that's, that's what I observe anyway. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if it works out perfectly because it's looking pretty good right now. Mike Elias, their GM, used high draft picks to get at your favorite, Adley Rushman, and also Jackson Holiday. And then they had such a good farm system, including a glut of infielders, that they were able to trade left-handed pitcher D.L. Hall and shortstop Joey Ortiz to get Cy Young winner Corbin Burns. And that was the piece that the whole world knew they needed. Everybody, um, you know, I've said on this podcast and everybody in the whole world has said, you know, the Orioles, I wish they would just get an ace. And they did it. And they did it getting rid of some of their glut of youngsters. Yeah. And that's why you stockpile a farm system. Some are going to advance. And unlike what the Yankees do, they just keep them down there for the most part. Um, won't trade them. Won't, you know, these guys just wither away. I, I, I I'm happy with where the Orioles are at now. It made me forget about the dismal years the last decade, and maybe that was the intent. But I love their that young trio they have with Holiday coming up. It sounds like they're going to keep Henderson at shortstop. He's rookie of the year. Oddly, Rushman's behind the dish. That's that's a strong middle right there. And Cedric Mullen would probably be center field again. That's where you win games now with Burns at the front of that rotation. Very young, very capable rotation. They you got your workhorse. If he stays healthy – He's a 200-inning guy, which is rare nowadays. You, get, you don't see guys go past 140. Yeah, it's going to be a real plus for them. And their rotation will look good now because they've got uh, Corbin Burns, then that Kyle Bradish, and the youngster Grayson Rodriguez. They have John Means coming back from, I think, Tommy John surgery. Or I like him. Surgery. I like him. I think he's the wild card in that mix. And then you look back, you know, because I said it was a parallel with the Astros – Jeff Lunau, the former GM of the Astros, and Jim Crane, who's still there, obviously, as owner, they traded back in 2017, they traded their farm hands for Justin Verlander and uh, Garrett Cole. They got Verlander in 2017 and Garrett Cole from the Pirates in 2018. 
They sent over Joe Musgrove for Garrett Cole. I had to go look that up. I thought that was interesting. They sent over Joe Musgrove, um, right-handed pitcher Michael Feliz, and third baseman Colin Moran, and outfielder Jason Martin. But anyway, so they sent those guys, those young guys out, and they got Garrett Cole, and they got Verlander. And then, look, they won the World Series in 2017, lost in 2019 and 2021, but won the pennant those years. And uh, won the series in 2022. So are we looking at what the Orioles' future is going to be? I think so. They, I mean, they, they got there this past year, saw what they needed to do, a lot of young faces. And people subscribe to that. Well, they're just so young and dumb enough. They don't even know they're not, you know, they're not supposed to be there. They won't be nervous. But I think it takes experience. I think it takes getting knocked down, being there, seeing what it's like. And I'm excited to see the Orioles this year. I I grew up liking the Orioles. I shared on the air my my Cal Ripken story, my Brooks Robinson story, and um, you know I've always always liked the Orioles. So I'm glad they're good. It's a great baseball city. Excited to see Cal Ripken involved. To me, that's a that, that they're ready to take the next step. I love what they're doing. Yeah, and the fans are just feeling so great right now. And you know, you mentioned Rushman and Henderson. But they've got, you know, a lot of these supporting actors are pretty good, too. The Anthony Santander is fun to watch. Um, Ryan Montcastle, DH, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of him. And do you think Jackson Holiday is going to be at shortstop on day one? Um, from what, again, I don't I don't know inside. I've heard different scouting reports on him that, you know, it's hard to move Gunnar Henderson off short. He had a really good year, although he did play third and second. If he's willing to play anywhere. Holiday, from what I have heard, his arm projects more as a second baseman than a shortstop. Um, in today's baseball world, the second baseman is not uh, doesn't have as many of the responsibilities defensively as they once had. Uh, so maybe a safer spot for him. But in my mind, based on the makeup of of those two young men, sounds like they'll play anywhere. They're athletic enough to do it. They're baseball guys, uh, so they'll learn whatever they have to learn. So. For me, I don't care who's in the middle. As long as those two guys are in the middle, they're going to be good for a long time. If they can keep that those two and Rushman together, that's that's a great that's there's 15 years right there. Yeah, and that is really what's so incredible about what Elias has done is that you have Rushman and Henderson there. And last year we're all like, oh my God, Rushman and Henderson. Um, and also Grayson Rodriguez. But they have a whole second wave coming, and Jackson Holiday's the headliner of it. But if you look at Keith Law's top 100 list that came out last week or early this week, Jackson Holiday is the number one prospect. But the Orioles also have Sammy Basala catching. He's the number 20 on the top 100 list. Kobe Mayo, third baseman, first baseman. He's number 27. This guy, Heston Kierstad, he's an outfielder at number 62. I bet we see him this year. And another outfielder named Enrique Bradfield at number 64. So they've got one, two, three, four, five guys in the top 100. It's not bad. It's not bad. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to watch them. I, we'll get some inside scoop from spring training down there, hopefully get some, some players on. I know we'll have some, some people down there, so. We'll keep an eye on the old birds, no question. I like the analogy with or the connection with the Astros. I, I think you're right. That's it looks like looks to be the same same pattern, same parallel. 
and five prospects on the top 100. I don't know if you have this in front of you, but are there any other teams that rival that? You know, I didn't do like a formal accounting. We'll have to go back to Keith Law's article and take a look at that. The you know, you mentioned the Yankees. They had a few people in there. Jason Dominguez was in there. Um, I can't remember who else now. Peraza or Pereira. I always get them mixed up. They're both good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, I subscribe to The Athletic. I think that's a good publication. Yeah, well, we'll have we'll have to have our audience check out that top 100 and then uh, let us know if there's any prospects that you want us to have on maybe during spring training. We'd love to we'll do our best to get them on. So are we are we already down to Super Bowl? What's what's good to eat? Are we right. We are. Well, I just wanted to do a little postscript because I um and I didn't send this to you in my show notes. But just yeah, this I, morning, I wanted to catch up because we're talking about the Orioles. I just thought we'd talk about some of the um, players they had going to arbitration because they've kind of worked it out. And it's a follow-up to my last pod. Um, Outfielder Austin Hayes won his arbitration. He was at 6.3 million and the O's had offered 5.85. So he won. Um, reliever Jacob Webb, he won. He got a million bucks. The team had offered nine twenty-five. And uh, Danny Coulomb has settled. He settled before he got to a hearing, and they compromised on that one. So if you settle beforehand, you can do a compromise. If you go to the hearing, it's the club's figure or the player's figure. And I think Ryan O'Hearn, the first baseman, he's still unresolved. So I don't know when hearing his hearing's going to be. Okay. That's good stuff. And we still have some big names that are out there that haven't been signed yet. Um, oh, Blake, my God. I know. Can you believe it? Jordan Montgomery. Did I miss anything or he's not? No. Signed? Him and Snell. And you got to figure any team that's in on Montgomery is going to be in on Snell. So, I mean, what the heck? Yeah. I, I, it's, and then Bellinger. That was the other one that we were all waiting on that we thought the ball would drop uh, early. We're getting close to spring training. My guess is we may be looking at a pillow contract, a one-year. But, but Bellinger did that last year. This was the year for him to cash in, I think. It was. It's- and you know what? His stock was so hot at the trade deadline last year and then again at the end of the season this year. And he didn't sign anything. And I think that some teams just made different choices. Teams that would have been interested, like the Blue Jays, they – re-signed Kiermaier. I mean, teams made other plans. And so I don't know who's left for Belly now. It seems like he's probably just going to go back to the Cubs. Well, Cubs haven't done much for poor Craig Council over there since he left to take that job. But yeah, I, I think Snell, I mean, Snell's coming off a side, you know, two, he's got two side Youngs. He was asking for an awful lot of years for a guy that's been often injured. And uh, the Yankees, I heard, were still in the mix with that, but we're offering about half the number of years he wanted, you know how that goes. They'll, they'll, they'll haggle, they'll, they'll bounce. But I do agree with you. I think him and the Montgomery signing and the Snell signing, probably the organizations and the teams are playing one off the other and hoping that uh, they can get a pitcher that's affordable. But a 10-year contract for a pitcher is absolutely insane. Yeah, well, especially one that's already 30 or 31. Yeah, who's probably only going to pitch five of those and based on their years, five years of 140 innings. So, but again, that's the, that's the economics of baseball nowadays. And you also still have Soler out there. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't landed anywhere. 
Matt Chapman's yeah. still out there. Yeah, not not a not ton of ton of movement. We thought once, you know, once the big sign happened that the balls would drop, but you know, with Otani way back, way back, but yeah, nothing's nothing's moved. So we could be starting spring training, which isn't or pitchers and catchers aren't too far away, but uh, spring training these guys could be still out there. Which again, I, I don't know what that means. That's a probably a two year deal deal for a pitcher, and probably a one one year deal with an option for a hitter is my guess. So. But I'd love to see Bell. I'd love to see two of those three guys with the Yankees because everybody's waiting on the Yankees to do something. Soto's a big sign. That's a, that's a big uh, a big bring for them. So, but I think the Yankees are people are waiting on them to to cash. And I did hear Gio Urshela as a possibility as a Yankee third baseman next year, bringing him back. Really, I didn't hear that. I did hear that the Mets had some interest in him. Yep, I think you know. Again, it's sometimes it's clickbait. But the, uh, you know, Urshela, I believe, was a tremendous defensive. They had him at third base. They played him a little bit at shortstop, but great defensive player, decent with the bat, had some, had some good, good time, I think, with Cleveland and with Minnesota. And I'd love to see him come back. I think he'd be great there for him. although they're kind of stockpiled with a lot of like guys. Um, to me, Urshela's a no-brainer, good glove man. I'll always take a good glove man. So, but um, – are we ready for the food? I'm curious with what food you're, we haven't decided yet on our end what food we're getting. It's still open for debate. So we have to do that later on today. But what, what do you got in store for Super Bowl food? Yeah, what's good to eat while watching the Super Bowl? And I am, I, I would, I do want to hear not only what the short list is for your menu, but I also kind of want to hear about how you do it. Because to me, there's a real strategy to Super Bowl day eating, because if you're not careful, you will fill up on too many appetizers and ruin your dinner because there's going to be guacamole, there's going to be wings, there's going to be chips and dips. And if you don't pace yourself, you're going to ruin your dinner. So you got to be careful. Yeah, you got to work backwards too, because the game's at what, eight o'clock? Game starts here on the East Coast at I think 6.30. Okay, that's not too bad. And so the, that's another thing. I mean, do you eat before the game? I mean, I like to have apps before the game, like maybe get together around five, do apps. We'll have guac and chips, wings with blue cheese, and probably a whole host of other things. Um, and then kind of eat. Our main course will be chili, and we'll eat that kind of at kickoff. but. Some people, if they're real fans, they might not want to eat during the game because they might think it's a distraction from the game. So I don't know how you feel about that. We, you know, we have with family of six here, my wife and I, plus the four kids. When we, when there's events like this, we normally, we, we're old fashioned. We, we always eat dinner, lunches together. Still, uh, we homeschool the kids so we can do stuff like that. And I'm able to work remote for the most part. So we, we prioritize old school stuff like that, but on things like this, where there's a Super Bowl and it's, it's at an odd time and there's no practices for anybody to run to, we usually just put the food out, uh, working backwards and, and they, they always pick pizza wings every year. So we usually do pizza and wings. The kids all like that. And, um, some, some sort of dessert, usually it's a, my daughter Peyton will make it. I I don't know what she has in store this year, but I, I thought I saw she was going to do use our muffin pans upside down with cookie dough 
with and make cookie dough shells. Uh-huh. And put ice ice cream in the cookie dough shells with different toppings, I guess. So um so if you can visualize that in our audio audience here. Oh yeah, uh, that sounds delicious. So I think that's that's dessert. She'll probably do that at halftime, put it out. And then my guess is usually pizza and wings go out, you know, five five fifteen. So it could all be gone by, but we just allow them to 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 pick and move and eat and move during that dinner time and um during the Super Bowl itself, nothing heavy, just a lot of, you know, like the, the, the carrots, the celery, the the broccoli, the kind of things you can dip in the, the ranch dressing and whatnot. And the, the wings and pizza last forever. So they're, they're picking the whole game. And before that, during the day, you know, I don't know, usually breakfast is we, you know, we're, we do breakfast Sundays together. I don't know. That's, that's normal, whether it's Super Bowl Sunday or not. But I think throughout the day, we're a little bit more regimented because we've experienced what you did where everybody's so stuffed by the time. I, and I, that's the list that they're putting together now. I had heard, and again, this is me, I got to go check the list. They like picky things like mozzarella sticks, chicken uh, chicken nuggets or tenders. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else might do. But yeah, little things like that. I'm sure my daughter Peyton's going to make two or three things to, to go out there. I think they said pot stickers, which oh, are- Oh yeah, like little dumplings. Yeah, yeah. Those, so- Little things like that, they can just kind of grab with their hands. Hopefully, they use a napkin and not wipe it on my furniture. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, so that, that's it. We try to stay simple, you know, with six people. And honestly, watching the game, when it gets to game time watch, it'll probably just be three of us. Myself, my wife, and Tanner are usually glued into the game. My older son comes in and out, uh, Blue. He's in and out of the game. Uh, daughters, uh, Harper will come in as food is put out, and then she'll usually be preoccupied with something else. And Peyton is kind of, hit and miss. She'll, she'll watch some of the game. Um, and then she'll get, to move on to, to, to something else. If Harper will drag her into it. So she, she usually follows Tanner. They're, they're close in age. They're the middle two. And then Harper will drag her into something non sports related to, uh, to play with her. So it'll, it'll just be really be the three of us watching the game. And we usually have popcorn out, things like that. I'm a big popcorn fan. Right. Popcorn and coffee. It's my favorite snack on the road. Popcorn in the front seat from the movies. I go get it, put it in the front bucket. All you can eat. The fo- so if I drive by again and I'm done, I just go in and fill it up. It's the best, best eight bucks you'll ever spend. <laughs> it's one of your quirks, Dave, and it's why we love you. Now, I, I of course can't talk about my food without giving Coach Sal a little plug here. I was thinking about it, and first of all, I do believe in treats. As even though I try to be healthy, and I think Sal does too, because I've. Um, you know, tweeted with him before about it, that you can treat yourself to treats once in a while. And Super Bowl Sunday is, it's a day to treat yourself. So there's no need to try to be healthy or lean on Super Bowl Sunday. It's a Mm -hmm. holiday and it's as much about eating as it is about football. But it's worth noting that the food does not have to be unhealthy. If you make, um, we're going to make chili, Chili is made with, if you make your own, it's made with wholesome ingredients, good, healthy meat. Um, I like to put some chopped avocado on mine, beans, tomatoes, good spices, nice spicy things like cayenne and jalapenos and those things I think are good for you. And of course, avocado, like in your guacamole or on top of your chili is a nice, healthy fat. So you know, you don't need to consider it a totally unhealthy day. 
you might have a harder time rationalizing the wings with blue cheese sauce or those awesome desserts that Peyton's going to make that I hope you're going to post a picture of because they sound outrageous. Um, but everything doesn't have to be healthy. No, we agree. We, Sal and I will chat about that all the time where if you're living the right way, it's not going to kill you to have a, a day or a snack. And I just, as we're talking, I just had a sign put up to uh, my window here from the kids. I, I guess they can hear the podcast in the room that they're in, but they, they said that we're having, uh, they, they, we did Memphis barbecue ribs a couple weeks ago and they liked it. Oh, So, so I've been, uh, I've been anointed to do that. And I had heard meatballs had made the, the appetizer thing. So the midday thing. So meatballs, mozzarella sticks, pot stickers, chicken tenders. And then Peyton is doing, she is into, a, she's a kooky little kid. She's into Star Wars, heavy Star Wars. So she has a lot of these chocolate molds that I bought her last Valentine's Day. She has all these different molds. And she has like stormtroopers and whatever the, the fighters are, the, the ships and the characters. She has all different chocolates. So apparently she's making Star Wars chocolates for the Super Bowl. Um, so she does really well with that. And I think it's chocolate peanut butter she's putting up there. So they're eavesdropping on this this podcast as I speak. So maybe you mentioning it got their them going a little bit to, to get know, this. That, yeah, makes we, me, that makes me happy that they were eavesdropping on our podcast and that they kind of got into it enough to be like, hold on, we got to put our two cents in. Yeah. They wonder what the heck I'm doing. I was like, why does dad talk to himself? Um, <laughs> so that's what I do to you guys too. So, but yeah, we'll post pictures of it. She has a little, uh, she started her own little homeschool business where her cooking group is called I'll Make It. And it's after the movie Hoosiers. People remember the Jimmy Chitwood thing when he's in the huddle and they try to draw the picket fence up for the wrong guy. And he just says, I'll make it. That's her favorite movie line. So I've got her, she got her own smock and her hat. That's what you call it with the chef's wear. And it says, I'll make it on it. So she's got her own little thing. So we always take the picture in that. So she'll, I'm sure she will distribute in the community too. those community members that are listening to the podcast before Super Bowl Sunday. She'll be making her rounds there to, to pass out some stuff. So um, she won't be selling any of it this week. Everything's uh, for the family and whatever we can't do. She'll be moving around the, the, the town here. I think that's amazing. The things that your kids do in homeschooling, it just blows me away. I mean, for example, I'll make it. Peyton is not only experimenting with cooking and learning new things about cooking, but she's learning about running a business. And when you learn how to run a business, I don't care if you're baking something or running a law firm or in private equity. If you know how to run a business, you know how to run anything. Yeah, it's stuff that I honestly uh, did not learn as a kid and not until later in life when, you know, I decided to leave the sideline of, of coaching for 20 years and decide to figure out what I was worth and, and have multiple streams. And so we, my wife and I both did that longtime coaches and we actually counsel other coaches that are trying to leave the business. I don't know how to, because most people that are in the industry for a lifetime don't know another way of life. And I'm, I'm, I'm proof of that right here. So we, we made that a priority in our homeschool. All of our kids have a, their own business. Our two boys are actually heavily involved in our recruiting uh, where we help kids get scholarships with the business, 708 as of today in the last four years. So they serve a function in that, which helps them understand the process too. But they're very good at empathizing with these kids and, and helping us identify the right families. 
to, to work with and help out. So they, they're involved with that. Harper, we can't figure out what she does to earn her keep here. We're still working with her, but she's only 10. So we'll give her some time. <laughs> but, uh, is that, did we, did we wrap it up right there? We is did. That- I think we're good. We did a good job. Nice yeah, and punchy. We- yeah. So pl- plug your stuff on social, let the audience remind them where they can find you and, and uh, how they can support what you're doing with your, with your, uh, your posts on Twitter and, and whatnot. Sure. Listeners. Yeah. Tune in to uh, X or Instagram. Um, at three inning fan three is all spelled out about once a week. I do a video called the three inning minute, which is about 90 seconds. And we look at some aspect of the game of baseball could be a business side, it could be a field side, or it could be a nostalgic side. And if you tune in um, over the next few days, you'll see my video on Pitchers and Catchers Day coming up so you can learn how to celebrate it yourself. Yeah, that's, that's apropos. And that's, that's, uh, that's coming up right now. In fact, our very own Will George was talking the other day because I have to report pretty soon because he's with the Colorado Rockies still. So but uh, yeah, enjoy your time uh, this weekend. Enjoy your Valentine's Day and enjoy your your time away. And we'll look for you back. Uh, and when will you be back on the podcast? In two weeks? Um, be a no, I'm longer? going away for a couple of weeks. So I'll probably be back that week of March 4th. So we'll pick a date that week. And uh, yes, I'm going to an undisclosed location. Parts that um, let's just say I better not eat too many chicken wings on Sunday or I won't look good in my bathing suit. Yeah. Yeah. We won't let people know where you're headed. We don't want you bothered by the, the KFT fan base here. We want you to be able to enjoy <laughs> some privacy. So, well, we'll look forward to when you come back and we'll certainly have a lot to talk about. We'll be full swing of spring training and, and uh, now people can actually have October in sight. Uh, when we get to that, that March time. So, and you'll be right at the beginning of March madness for basketball too. So you better follow that. Oh, boy. All right. I'll do my homework over vacation. Well, the sauce will be covering that a little bit this afternoon, so he'll give you some cheat sheets every week on Fridays if you need it. And to our audience, thanks, 67,000 and growing. Appreciate your support. Thank you to the sponsors that are jumping on board with us. Thank you to Millions, who is our new marketing partner, and we're, we're still in the process of getting that up and rolling, hoping to have the merchandise up today. That would be great if we do. I'll shoot a link to our host first and then uh, put it out on social for our audience next. But great new logo if you haven't checked it out. And uh, Kelly, thanks so much for a great show. A, a date in October with KFT, episode 446. That's a wrap.